you know, I sit on a hilltop and I watch the sun rise through my bedroom window and set through my kitchen. And, you know, I just see this range of colors and shadows, especially at this time of year. All the trees have gone from absolutely bare and skeletal to starting to bud out. They do really bizarre things, especially in the setting sun. Those observations from the natural world have affected the work in terms of my color choices, maybe more than in any other way. I would say for me, even though my work is derived from the landscape, I go to great pains to not have my color be referential to the landscape at all. To me, I'm interested in perception, how we see and how we interpret what we see. So it's more of a psychological aspect, I think, to my work, perhaps, than an interest in portraying the landscape. For me, I had this experience of walking in the neighborhood and I just had a week where I was just kind of coming across all these strange, you know, color combinations. And I really still kind of get drawn into that, the way shadows hit something or the way that, you know, the sun is hitting something and kind of creating all these variations and start thinking about, you know, color and thinking about how this is going to be, you know, something that gets resolved into a painting. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 216th episode, I'm excited to be joined by not one, but two guests. We have Lisa Bergant coy joining me from Pittsburgh, and Greg Edmondson, who's currently on residency at Osage Arts Community in Bell, Missouri, joining me. We're going to talk all about painting and color and process and all sorts of great stuff coming up, so stay tuned for that interview. Just a quick note to any students that are listening, our 2019 Studio Break student competition is coming to a close on May 15th, so get your applications in today. Our juror this year is Erica B. Hess from I Like Your Work podcast. She's a fantastic artist and curator, and she'll be selecting three artists from the undergraduate and graduate competition, so three for each. And again, that's open to all currently enrolled or graduating MFA or MA and BFA, BA candidates in all types of visual art. All you have to do is submit a small application fee through our PayPal donation button. You submit 10 images and an artist statement and a PDF or a link to your website with those materials and you are set. You can send it to Studio Break Mail at Gmail. You can find this information on studiobreak.com under the student competition page, or if you go to our Instagram at studio underscore break, you'll see some posts there that have the instructions there as well. Once again, if you know anybody that should be applying, maybe a friend, a studio mate, or a student, please encourage them and please help us spread the word. Erica wants to be super busy and we've been getting great applications in already. So once again, May 15th. If you're checking out Studio Break for the first time, please visit studiobreak.com. We've got a big archive. Each of our episodes have images of the artist's work, links to their websites, and you can listen right there in the default player or click that iTunes link and subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on social media, so be sure and like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break and, of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. And just a quick note that if you want to see some of the work that we'll be talking about with Greg and Lisa, you can check out Lisa's work at lisabergantcoy.com and Greg's work at gregedmondson.net. You can also find mine at davidlinaway.com and that should help you follow along, especially because uh, we've got three people today, so it's very exciting. So let's jump into this interview with Lisa and Greg. Stay tuned. 
Welcome to Studio Break. I'm joined by Lisa Bergant-Coy and Greg Edmondson. Again, I don't know how to do this exactly, but maybe we'll try it in that order. How are you guys doing? Very well. Thank you. (laughs) So uh, I guess, Lisa, why don't you just uh, give us a little bit of a background where you're at, then we'll let Greg do the same thing. I'm currently in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I grew up in the suburbs of Cleveland, Ohio, earned my BFA from Bowling Green State University, and I attended Illinois State University for a Master's of Arts degree. After school, I moved around quite a bit and uh, have now been in Pittsburgh for some 16 years. It feels like home. I'm happy to have some roots now. And um, I have a studio that is outside of my home, and that is, I don't know, about a 15-minute drive, which is very convenient. I go there regularly. How about you, Greg? Well, as you know, I'm still at Osage Arts Community uh, So I'm currently in the longest standing artist residency I've ever done. I signed up for three months in 2015. Crazy things happened. You know, we were able to start bringing in some programming. So this extended to nine months, then to 18, then, and, uh, you know, 48 months later, I'm still there. But it's, you know, you've seen it. It's a beautiful place, 150 some acres on the Gasconade River. I did my undergraduate work at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. I grew up. 30 miles or so from there in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Did my graduate work at Washington University in St. Louis. From there, I left St. Louis, thought I'd never come back, moved to Germany for for five years, returned to St. Louis for what I thought was a four-year teaching gig, became a father, and uh, that turned into a quarter of a century. So (laughs) Now I'm very self-conscious all of a sudden. (laughs) I don't know why. Well, again, I'm normally on the opposite side of this, but of course, I'm Dave Linoy, the host of Studio Break. I'm currently residing in Wheaton, where I guess I didn't think that I would be ever. I mean, it's really not far from where I grew up and started experiencing the weirdness of the suburbs. But I studied at Illinois State University for my BFA degree and then Southern Illinois University Carbondale for my MFA degree. So I've kind of moved into these rural pockets where I kind of... I guess started getting more and more interested in landscape. And um, yeah, I guess that's that's where I'm at. I'm currently teaching at a couple of different places. As I was just complaining to you, get burnout talking about uh, <laughs> color schemes <laughs> and triadic color versus tetradic. And so I'm going to do my best to be uh, poignant today. So, you know, one of the things that I wanted to do with this was just to kind of catch up with what everybody's uh, working on in the studio. Again, you've both been featured on Studio Break, and we talked a bit about your processes. And, you know, of course, that goes with making new bodies of work and closing out old bodies of work. And I think just a minute ago, Lisa, you were talking a bit about, you know, what you currently have going on in the studio. So maybe we could start there, and then we'll transition over to Greg. So I have been preparing panels and canvases, and I have uh, roughly 10 of them gessoed and ready to go hanging on my studio walls. I have uh, a notion of what's going to happen with those pieces. I envision that I will be making work that is in somewhat of a combination of my departure paintings and the most recent paintings, the configuring paintings. I've been writing notes to myself. You know, when you're um, gessoing panels, there's I, at least for me, I have a lot of thoughts that occur as far as what's going what's gonna to happen on that panel. So I, I have to write notes or I'm going to forget them. This coming week, I will be um, starting with actual paint to canvas. So I'm looking forward to that. Excellent. And Greg? 
Well, I'm jealous, Lisa, because I, I feel like <laughs> I've kind of finished a body of work for the past maybe two and a half months. We, we've got this little book coming out, and that's uh, right. that has sucked up all of my, you know, going back and forth with the publisher doing final edits, you know, looking at this and going, oh, maybe we can. So we've been tweaking that thing for now two and a half months. But I finished probably the fifth body of work, I guess, that started in this long-term residency. So now just, you know, I kind of have a head filled with ideas. I'm not exactly sure how this is all going to begin, but really looking forward to getting back into the studio. The books are supposed to arrive, the first hundred, I think, tomorrow. So yippee. <laughs> well, that's exciting, you know. Mm-hmm. I can't help but think about the relationship of both of what you're just talking about and you know, I'm kind of more in Lisa's realm where I've got a bunch of work kind of started, but I'm looking forward to getting somewhere with it in the next uh, month or so. You know, it's interesting to think about, you know, starting that process versus ending that process. So I'm just kind of curious uh, relative to that. Lisa, you were talking about some of the ways that you're envisioning this work. And, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about that in terms of what you got planned or, you know, how that process might start. But then I'm especially interested maybe in Greg following up with how that work came about in this most recent incarnation since you're kind of ending that, you know, it's a really interesting thing to think about the start and end of something. Mm -hmm. Before even deciding on the sizes I wanted to make and um, what, what shapes of canvases, I have typically anxiety of what am I going to make? And then I know that my own process is going to be, okay, thinking about it, taking the time to let some ideas gel and not necessarily feeling like I have to just, you know, start with get 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 the brush and the paint and have at it right away. So I'm now to the point where, as I said, I've ha- I have these panels ready. I'm I'm kind of um, past that initial planning stage, and now the anxiety has much decreased. And I'm and I'm I'm looking forward to just starting my process. I think this body of work is going to have some of the metallic qualities, um, metallic paint of the departure series and some of the more close-up compositions that I see when looking at my configuring series of work. So it's this big notion, I call it my sort of gut vision as to what I want to see. And then the challenge, of course, as for all of us, is to make that sort of gut vision manifest on a canvas. So... um, it's, you know, as we all know, a process. Well, I just have to make it and see what happens. To kind of go more in depth in that, I mean, is there a particular, you know, process? Is it kind of like built off like the language that you were just describing and some other body of works? Like you've got some formal concerns that you are then going to, you know, explore in these new 10 panels is essentially the strategy. I'm especially curious where improvisation kind of, you know, fits mm-hmm. in because I know that I'll jump to Greg in a second about that because I think that largely plays in his work as well. So when I start and what I learned with the last, the these past two bodies of work is to just grab my source material, which is drawings I make as a passenger at, in the car, and um, just randomly select shapes and lines from those drawings and just get something on the canvas. So I'll do that again. So I'll be working on all of them at the same time. I like to bring up a body of work all at the same time. I have ideas as far as the color palette. Each painting will be slightly different. I don't by any means intend to make everything look like they came from the same palette. So as far as improvisation, it's kind of all improvisation to a point. And then I will 
make the marks and decisions very more deliberately at some point and to, to resolve the painting. And again, kind of Greg, thinking about where you're at, you know, just wrapping up this body of work, what was it like in terms of, you know, the process and, you know, the way that you kind of worked through it? Again, it's like a interesting, like, duality thing, you know, like, it's like wrapping up a show where you're like, oh, this is done now. What do I do? If I can say, you know, Lisa, when, when Dave first talked to me about this and showed me some images of your work, mm-hmm. one of the things I responded to the most was like this sort of dance between intention and response. You know, the, the, mm. the work seemed to seem to begin with a, a, a lot of intentionality and then you began to respond to the things that you, you know, more openly sort of respond to the things that you'd put down. And that was really interesting to me because that's become largely a way that I've, I've began to work, you know, over the course of this residency. Uh-huh. Yeah, Dave, you, you know, you know, the work I was doing before the residency, it was very based in simple self-organizing systems. And it was really repetitive. And when, you know, when I lived in a big city and was, you know, trying to get my daughter through college and teaching full time, this kind of repetitive work that you could step into and step out of made a lot of sense. But when I found myself at a residency with like nothing to do except work, uh, you know, that, that it no longer seemed to make sense. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, when this kind of, you know, when this shift really began, the work is really form has has been largely really formally abstract. Mm-hmm. But I, I'd have to say, like this last body of work, you know, the pa- beginning in September or October of 2018, it, it's become much more referential of the landscape, you know, that I find found myself surrounded by out there. I, I don't know. I've, I've started to use some really like icons, like a sort of tree form or something as you know, as kind of a stand-in for like a pattern of organic growth, um, but but the stuff has begun to reference the visible world in more direct ways than than what I had been doing prior to maybe the last twelve months. What's interesting to me about that relative to my work is that I'm kind of feel like I'm going back towards abstraction in certain ways, so I can certainly kind mm. of relate to that idea of instead of kind of incorporating this whole you know, whatever it is, uh, the entire facade of something or the front of like a home or something like that. It's like these fragments, um, especially with these, the prominence of these shadows. So I think a lot of times I find myself, you know, photographing these big abstracted tree shapes, you know, with just the way that it's interacting with the ground or, you know, on the side of a house or something like that. And so, you know, there's certain elements that you might kind of relate to landscape in some ways, but then there, I think for everyone, there's that exploration of abstraction. And while my work has kind of moved away from that a little bit, like I said, I, I feel like it's still always a part of it, you know, especially relative to the, you know, the formal qualities, which is something that really kind of draws me in to my work. I noticed, I noticed David on your, in the last, um, I think it's your, in your Pembroke series, like 17, 18 and 19, I did see that those seem to be a little bit more abstract in the sense that they're the the composition is cropped i'm not seeing the entire um, building in those paintings i've been trying to focus on you know a handful of formal things that draw me in as opposed to making sure that i incorporate you know all of a lawn or you know the entire gutter of a house or something you know something that's going to be more expansive so again i think that makes sense completely Mm -hmm. you know to think about that Maybe relative back to, uh, you know, Greg's work, you know, could you kind of describe, because you've been, again, in this unique position to be 
in a residency for so long, you kind of described all these incarnations of this work. Is there anything that you would describe as kind of being different from maybe the process uh, previously? I know you talked a little bit more kind of like a formulaic kind of design, but I'm specifically thinking if there's a departure from like the rivers and beasts, which was also part of a, a book that was previous to this as well. And, and part of that previous body of work, you know, you and I talked a little bit about this, but it, it, it's become more prominent. I think that I, I've, you know, I've really started to think about these things as like doubtful or reluctant modernist paintings. You know, they're, they're still, they're really, you know, they're really formal and abstract. And I'm, I, I'm tempted to like capitalize on tiny little discoveries inside them, but they're, uh, you know, they're not large scale. They're not bombastic and they're not certain. They're, they're really, really kind of doubtful. You know, I largely worked on paper with, you know, really aqueous materials. I still draw with paint. I mean, I realize this about myself. You know, I hadn't really painted on canvas in 20 years, and, and I've been doing more of that over the course of this past year. I really like the physicality of that material, but I'm, you know, my love of paper has not diminished. Paper as a surface. Mm-hmm. And something I might think about relative to that, I mean, what do you think about the difference in terms of, like, again, this could be for both of you, but, you know, there's a difference when you're kind of maybe working on, you know, 10 paintings at the same time, you might... Lisa, I imagine kind of like work on like a base layer of one and then jump to the next one to the next one. I've always been somebody that's very singular, like in terms of a focus, it's hard for me. I I will force myself to jump from, you know, like painting to painting, but usually I'm kind of focused Mm -hmm. on one thing at a time. And I'm just curious what that relationship is for both of you. And again, you could, I don't know what makes most sense to kind of chime in. Um, I could speak to that pretty easily for me. Working on many paintings at once is a function of time efficiency. The work that I do, uh, because because there's so many layers to the work, a lot of times if I'm stuck and can't find a solution to the for the you know the painting that I'm working on, I will put it aside or just jump to the next one. So um, in working on another painting, I might get a solution. For the one I had to leave behind, so they so they they work off of each other, and the ideas come just from painting many things at a time. But basically, it's kind of a kind of a way to be quick at it and to not be staring at a painting for a whole day and not getting anywhere. Greg, what about you? Uh, I'm more or less with Lisa on that. I, mm-hmm. I tend to always work in series. I'm much better having multiple things happening at the same time. And, you know, like what she just said, that often if I find myself stuck on something, I might discover a solution for that painting just, you know, accidentally while while working on something else. Right. An old friend of mine made this joke, you know, years ago in graduate school, but his his testament was don't make a painting, man, make a show. You know, paint a whole show. And I, I tend to just, I, I tend to feel much better and, and work m- much more openly when I have multiple things going on at a given time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting for me to think about it like that because I, I feel like there's times that I'm in that mode and then there's times that I'm not. You know, to think about it relative, you know, like I, I'm also kind of like working on this. I don't know what the number is going to wind up being. I think earlier in an interview and somebody will hang me on this, but I think I said like or somewhere social media wise, I'm like, I'm doing 50 of these. Um, and I started thinking about this relative to, to today where I'm like, you know, I really kind of like different formats. You know, you talk to different artists that are, 
you know, working small to like these big, large canvases and you start thinking about, oh, does it make sense to just really focus on small things? Because I like big things too. But it's interesting for me because I, I know that, you know, a lot of times I'll get stuck on something when it's just that singular thing, you know, like, oh, I got to get this kind of work worked out. But I have been getting better at kind of jumping around because my time is so kind of not that luxury time where you can kind of just have all day, you know, it's always, it's trying to fit in something for a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I guess I'm just kind of curious too, relative to that, then we've all been talking a little bit about working in series. What, what do you think about it? Like success rate or, I mean, is there a painting that takes, you know, months to kind of figure out or, you know, ones that come kind of quick? I mean, where does that work with both of y'all? Y'all. Go ahead, Greg. I went to Southern Illinois. <laughs> okay. Y'all. <laughs> the preferred pronoun is all y'all day, I think, if you're, if you're a Southerner of any sort. When you joked earlier about the elevator pitch, I finally realized what to say whenever someone says, you know, how long does it take you to paint that? All my life. So, you know, just having this stretch of four years to paint – yeah, there are paintings that have come together just remarkably quickly. And then there are things that I've started and put away and pulled back out and stared at and wrestled with and put away again, you know, and maybe completed them again very quickly. But months and months later, I was younger, I think when I thought I'd finished a painting, I wanted to get it out and get it in a show. And now I'd rather kind of like wait with it for a while and just, you know, make sure that I'm, you know, that, that I my judgment about that painting was not rushed. But it, yeah, some of these things happen very quickly. And then some of these things just, I I have to sit with them for a long time before I can, you know, come to that, whatever solution that, you know, that they require. I would say for me, the approach is very similar to that. I, I know myself well enough to know that I have to have, like, if I have 10 panels up, I know that maybe I'll get six out of there that I would show. And the others usually get regessoed or um, they sit face against the wall until I until I can figure out what to do with them. <laughs> I always have to prepare more surfaces um, than paintings that I know will will turn out properly. I feel like something has to be spoken about attention span or something. I always I hate <laughs> I always hate diving into older work. It's kind of weird. I just got back like, um, I don't know, like 20 some paintings. Uh, of course, still haven't kind of sorted them back into, you know, their their containment area. But, you know, as I'm kind of moving sh- stuff around, I'm coming across older paintings and I'm like, oh, you know, I remember starting this and kind of not following up on it, you know. And I think part of that for me is always I, I always like kind of want to jump on to where I'm currently at. Yeah. And I guess I don't know if that has to be like a time commitment relative to the idea of like does something take a long time or not but i don't know is there other instances where you will kind of like stumble back through something that you kind of wonder like what happened to it or again it sounds like a little bit lisa like you'll just edit back over it or, or just kind of find a way to rework it well i you know as we spoke in in our initial podcast i often take photographs of the work in process and um there have been times and i've learned from this where I thought that a painting was a dead end and then I paint over it and then I see the photograph of the original underneath painting and I say, why did I do that? So now (laughs) I've kind of learned to not necessarily rush to obliterate something. I'm much more apt to let it just sit facing the wall than, than than to rework it right off the bat. And Greg, are you, are you stumbling across things that you, uh, 
discarded from the start of your residency all those years ago now? Oh, yes. Uh, and and I, I'm going to have to agree with Lisa again. You know, this is, <laughs> a, I think, you know, I have more times than I care to admit done something that I thought, oh, this is terrible. And then, you know, like discarded it or painted it out. And, but by the same token, you made something that you feel in that instant, wow, this is really, you know, th- this is awesome. This is going in some new direction. I'm, I'm really proud of this. And then you look, come back and look at it and go like, what was I thinking? You know, right. that's, <laughs> that's the one I should have painted over. Right. So, I mean, I'm grateful for the, the, the amount of space that I've had. And, you know, that's been, it's been one of the benefits of working on paper. Dave, you've seen this, you know, I have all these enormous portfolios in the space. So, you know, I've, I've got 200 paintings, you know, stored in big flat files that I can periodically, you know, pull out or go back through. And I, I was actually thinking earlier this morning about a painting from maybe 20, late 2016 that I think I'm, that I think I need to revisit. So this is definitely a thing that goes on with me. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, especially like the way that you both think through color. Um, I know with myself, you know, again, I recently kind of described this, uh, end of the fall that I had last year where it's, it's so strange to think about how weather changes so dramatically this, this time of year where literally last week there was snow on the ground, and now it's almost 80 degrees here. Very literally, like at the end of my semester last December, I just kind of started walking in the neighborhood. and just had a week where I was just kind of coming across all these strange, you know, color combinations. And I really still kind of get drawn into that, the way shadows hit something or the way that, you know, the sun is hitting something and kind of creating all these variations and start thinking about, you know, color and thinking about how this is going to be, you know, something that gets resolved into a painting, especially with the kind of photo elements of mine, you know, that intense color versus that kind of more muted color from a photograph. And of course, I, you know, aside from the photo transfers, you know, work and, you know, layer over everything and then do oil paint over the top of that. But maybe that's something that we could talk about relative to your, you know, color choices and materials, how, how you kind of start working through that. And again, you're both at different places. So it's kind of interesting to think about that, you know, in terms of starting versus finishing a body of work. The last time we did this, you know, we talked a little bit about this, but I've like, I tend to think often in terms of, uh, you know, color strategies and being, being out in the, you know, being out in this environment, I have a recurring grudge match with the color green. Uh, You know, I think it's been very, very difficult for me I think it's difficult for most people to to make a green painting that that they're really excited about. So, you know, green has been a, a color system that I've returned to. But, you know, you saw the you saw several anyway of the like purple and magenta. I got infatuated with uh, an, uh, the idea of like 1970s, you know, color schemes for for maybe six months. The celery green, you know, avocado green and burnt orange, uh, you know, those kinds of weird juxtapositions though i don't paint as representationally as you dave you know the you know i sit on a hilltop and i watch the sun rise through my bedroom window and set through my kitchen and you know i just see this range of colors and shadows especially at this time of year all the trees have gone from absolutely bare and skeletal to starting to bud out so they do really bizarre things especially in the setting sun so you know i think that those those observations from the natural world have affected the work in terms of my color choices maybe more than in any other way. I would say for me, even though my work is derived from the landscape, I go to great pains to 
not have my color be referential to the landscape at all. To me, I'm interested in perception, how we see and how we interpret what we see. So it's more of a psychological aspect, I think, to my work, perhaps, than an interest in portraying the landscape. My color choices come often uh, as a result of the last body of work. So for example, my last body of work had darker colors, is basically a darker palette in general. And at the end of that, I said, all right, next time I'm gonna experiment with high key colors. What can I do with that? So my color, dis- my color choices initially are a result of just kind of pushing, what, what can I do next? What haven't I done? What could I do next? And, and what's that going to look like? It's like a curiosity of what am I going to make? And again, what, what is that going to look like? And to kind of continue on from that, you know, one of the things that I noticed when I look at your work, Lisa, there's all this kind of like layering going on. And so there's this really intriguing kind of depth. And then, you know, when I think about my work, there's, there's still a little bit of that depth, but then a lot of flatness as well. And then, you know, with Greg, your work, there's kind of still like this, this design element, but then there's also these, you know, deep pockets in, in your paintings too, that, you know, in some cases kind of become more like landscapes. And then some of them kind of become like this, you know, abstracted designer kind of like, I don't know the best way to describe all this, but that idea of space and layering seems like it's something that kind of works to varying degree in, in all of our work. I see what you're saying. I'm looking at Greg's Rivers and Beasts series and, um, I see what you're saying about that design element, and there's there is there is a lot of space, perhaps a shallow space in some of them, but definitely seeing that. Well, for a long time, I, I really wasn't concerned with that, you know, conveyance of like of painterly space. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, th- this has been a relatively new thing with the uh, that's come about de- over the course of this residency at OSA. Are there any things that maybe kind of surprise you or maybe might surprise someone else to know uh, in the way that you work through something this is the part of the interview where i try to stretch for length you know (laughs) (laughs) well everything surprises me but you know um... but for example like i don't know i and maybe this has been going on for a little while but i didn't realize how important photography was to my work and maybe that's just like as a recording or like a way kind of back into something. Mm-hmm. And I've certainly had experiences where I painted outdoors, painted, you know, uh, from observation, but it always kind of comes back to this, uh, this photograph. And so, you know, even with my most current work, I think that's something that's really influenced the, the compositional elements of my work and something that might not be as apparent, you know, I think there is still kind of come from the same place in terms of the process, but there's something about the physical quality of just, you know, turning a lens, you know, to crop a, a composition in a way that was just different when it was, you know, just stick your stick your camera out the window and shoot, you know, and then crop it down later, you know. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, if there's a, anything new in a process or, you know, maybe new in the last process, uh, in the case of Greg, that might be interesting to talk about. You know, you saw some of the work that I was doing before beginning this residency. And I, I guess maybe the, the biggest surprise for me, you know, I, I, I've landed there thinking I could rest for a couple of days and like flip a switch and I'd go pick that body of work right back up. And mm-hmm. that's absolutely not what happened. But, I, you know, ideas of, of uh, returning to some of that repetitive 
system based drawing or incorporating it in a, in different ways uh, you know have I, i've been that's all been rolling around in my head so I, you know i think i think drawing may return to this i'm i'm not exactly what form it's all this is all going to take but i think drawing is going to return to you know my everyday studio process again so well that's something maybe that would be interesting to kind of talk about too lisa because you also kind of uh do a lot of drawing as well Mm -hmm. i feel inadequate speaking with both of you because i'm uh, i do drawing in class you know well well your your drawing is are are you taking your own photographs david yeah Mm mm-hmm yeah, so that's your drawing. I mean, that's your basic start. My start is drawing in the car, so I don't I don't see it as that that much different. You had described previously in terms of you know might find like some element or some you know linear uh, passage of a landscape that you kind of then incorporate in there. And I guess I'm just kind of curious then, like as you're pursuing this new body of work, is that something then that gets incorporated in the same way or a different way always interested especially if there's any kind of shifts or anything like that again it's so weird what can influence us uh it seems i was gonna say from one moment to the next but i was gonna say from one year to the next too you know i anticipate that my manner of working will be the same i have i have an underlying goal for this new body of work but i hesitate to tell it because if I do, then the viewer, who, you know, whoever hears that will know sort of what to look for. And then, and then I won't know if I actually hit the mark or not because I, I rely on feedback to find out if I'm, if I'm actually reaching those goals. So if I tell you, I won't know if I actually got there or not. I agree with you, though. I, I know how clumsy it is. Sometimes I'm reluctant to, to write, you know, like an, I'm reluctant to write an artist statement for a specific exhibition that describes, you know, sort of the nature of the work to me, because that gives everyone, that gives them a point from which to start looking at the work. Right. They just saw it and, you know, arrived at their own conclusions without my dictation or, you know, my, without my giving that many clues. Mm-hmm. And for me, the same thing goes with titling, which I, I, I actually wanted to ask you about, Greg, because your pieces are titled in a, in a way that gives a little hint to maybe what we're looking at. Can you talk about that a little bit, how, how you title your abstract pieces? You know, when I was doing these system-based things, I, it got pretentious after a while to just be like untitled number 137. So, <laughs> But the main thing, when I was doing the, those pieces, that they were a conscious attempt to kind of remove personal narrative from the nature of the work. So, the, the, you know, the work was really focused on formal and visual things, and I wasn't, you know, giving a lot of myself away. But over the course of this four years, I, you know, I've got to say personal narrative has returned at first it scared me, but I think as I've gotten older, I realized that I had, you know, I thought I'd kind of exhausted the ways I knew to deal with personal narrative, but I think I've come up with, you know, I've I've realized that I've got a bigger arsenal now, so I I feel okay with that. But so the titles, the titles almost never precede the painting. They come at some point, you know, while the painting is developing and they're, you know, they're designed to, to, you know, to give a hint, but not, give away so much i mean the, the i see the titles as kind of teasers and in this most recent body of work i mean the, I, the titles have really gone crazy there's like a 12 by 12 inch painting with a two sentence title you know when the titles become larger than the paintings i, I think i may have gone over 
<laughs> well, and it's interesting that we think it was Greg that was just kind of tapped into this idea of writing or writing statements and, and thinking about work. And But, you know, I, I rarely kind of write things out or kind of think about it like that in terms of that context or until maybe mm-hmm. much later when I'm actually, you know, forced to write something about the work. Um, but is is that something that either of you kind of do in terms of like writing in a sketchbook or, you know, just making mental notes or... I write a lot in the studio. My notes often consist of, um, yeah, what what I'm thinking, what's going through my head as I'm making something, and then other other writing has to do with what possibilities are next, like if I if I spot a solution and whatnot. Right, right. Any other thoughts, Greg? To paraphrase an old joke, I'm I'm a reader, not a writer. I mean, you know, doing these books, I'm forced to have to write some kind of little introduction, and it's, you know, I'll spend weeks writing you know two or three paragraphs which almost kills me but I you know I have been I'm still a kind of voracious reader so that's writing is not the most comfortable format for me I do a lot of reading in conjunction with the series of works that I'm you know playing with in the studio so when I first got there I was reading like uh James Gleek's The Information you know Deleuze's Repetition and Difference and things like that but now you know now I'm reading like Greek and Roman, Norse mythology, and uh, just, uh, you know, biological textbooks. So, so Greg, I had a question about your paintings in your After the Flood series. I'm looking at them on your website. And um, I'm looking at them and seeing that they are indeed small, but they look as though they could be very large paintings. They kind of defy the scale. You know, the paperwork I'd been doing prior to this day, I've seen a few, you know, where like, 42 by 68 inches so you know i've been framing these little tiny things for the gallery and a friend of mine came for a visit you know not too long ago and had the same said the same thing you know he'd seen the digital images and he's like damn those are teeny (laughs) yes they really are they have paved the way for some larger works too which is cool yeah nice which is weird because i think about that relative to to scale um they're so different working large versus small to me. I've never found it possible to scale an idea dramatically up or dramatically down. That mm-hmm. just doesn't seem to work for me. So I, I like bouncing between scales because it it helps, you know, it's, it sparks whole new ideas. So mm-hmm. I found that I make assumptions about scale. You know, I think I anecdotally tell this story all the time, but I you know, did a series of these wedding paintings for my wedding that were six by eight. And because, you know, I, I, I was like, oh, you know, this is because they're, they're all kind of supposed to be modeled after the same day. So they're all based off of photographs from where we got married. You know, at the time I was doing plein air painting in like, you know, an hour and a half, two hours. So I just assumed like, uh, yeah, these are going to be these are going to be no problem. And they want to taking me three to five hours a piece for sure. <laughs> And they slowly kind of grew and built from there. So, I mean, for me, again, it's weird. It's like scale will dictate, you know, how something needs to be resolved in a way that would be totally different if it was six by eight feet, you know, or what Mm -hmm. I would never, (laughs) I was going to say, where could I store that work? Well, yeah, I mean, that's always a problem, but it it dictates like the, you know, the size of of a gesture or, or the speed of a mark, you know, it's like you... Like you can't do on a tiny format, do a grand sweeping gesture on a teeny weeny format and you filled the whole space. And like some of the detailed work that happens in some of these little teeny things, you know, would just occupy such a such a tiny area of a larger work that, you know, 
that may or may not make sense, but I mean, I like to do a series at a similar scale, but that I was not expecting to do anything this tiny, you know, but there that stuff was. So why not? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's got to be something that's nice about working a little bit larger than two, you know, uh, Lisa, relative to your work, just because it's, mm-hmm. I love a larger size where you can feel like you've got, as someone that feels like they're working tiny right now, and nine by 12 isn't tiny by any means, but, you know, to be working four foot paintings or something that's so, it seems different the way that you enter it and look at it, you know, because I would think that this shift in scale for yours, you know, there's so many things that you start noticing because it's a bit larger and then there's these little details that you kind of pick up when you get close to it, you know? Yes. And for me, scaling up has become a challenge in making making work that that like like Greg's can feel like a small painting or a big painting. So I, I try to if I'm scaling up in size, I I want my marks to be that much bigger. Yeah. In fact, I go to great lengths to make my marks not like not not be set to a scale. Like if you have a one inch paintbrush and you make a line, when I look at someone's painting, I walk up to it and I say, okay, that's a one inch paintbrush making that line. I try to hide that. You know, I don't want that sense of scale to that mark to be so I want it to be more mysterious than that. Like when you're talking about a sweeping gesture, I might attach two paintbrushes side by side to make it look like a giant paintbrush so that that is even scaled up. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. Well, so, so again, when we started this, you know, Lisa, we were talking about, you know, you got all these new paintings. Are, are they going to be part of a show or something that's kind of planned in, in the, the near future or what, what's going on in terms of some of the things that you have coming up in terms of exhibitions and things that you want to talk about? So I have been invited to participate in a couple of exhibitions next year. So this work is intended for those two shows. I've been invited to have a solo show at Harper College in Palatine, Illinois, and that will be in March of 2020. And then James May Gallery in Algoma, Wisconsin, has invited me also to participate in a group exhibition of abstract artists. There will be four abstract painters in that show, and that's the fall of 2020. Let's see, May 10th is the uh, official book release and signing, and there'll be like uh, eight framed selected from the book at the Phillips Line Gallery in St. Louis. May 26th, Jasmine Raskus and I are doing a small show called Chasing Chaos, also in St. Louis. We're doing another event for the book at Emily Smalter Gallery, or Smalter Gallery, but with Emily Smalter in Kansas City. And then working the Sydney Larson Gallery at Columbia College, I was in a recently in a group show of works on paper there, and we're talking about uh, we're working toward a solo show, but which may happen as early as uh, this coming fall because they've had a <clears throat> an unexpected hole or gap in their schedule. So, and again, just to make sure that we've got more information about this book, maybe break down a little bit more specifically. You know, uh, after the flood, you know, how many. Um, reproductions that are going to be in it i mean give us a little bit more to go on and and tell us when we can expect it where we can find it especially yeah i'd be happy to so that after the flood it's 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 actually a collaboration at heart but it's it's basically a series of 18 paintings 17 small watercolors that began in october of 2017 uh you know we had i had turned in final edits and everything to rivers and beast after working on that for a year to the editor in like September of 2017. So in October, 
you know, the river has flooded four times in four years, but also, you know, there's a kind of metaphorical sense to this. I, I came back after working on that book for nine months. I walked into my studio and felt like I'd washed ashore somewhere. You know, all the finished work was put away. The, the just scraps of things that were ideas that had been abandoned were everywhere. So I just started making these little tiny watercolors and they're simple and direct and, you know, really small singular ideas most of them were done in a in a, a single day or a single sitting but we've invited 12 poets to contribute to you know either write poems not not to interpret this uh, or to either write poems or or just contribute them and then we have an essayist and two people who have uh, written little back cover blurbs and the photographer Lisa Halley Melching again photographed everything so it'll be available at uh, Left Bank Books in St. Louis, at Subterranean Books in St. Louis, Deep Vellum Books in Dallas. Yeah, the launch is May 10th. So, and I believe the first the box of the first hundred books will arrive at Osage uh, tomorrow afternoon. We're going to do these couple of launch events before we start um, getting it out to the, all the bookstores. It's on Stubborn Mule Press. <laughs> That's that's fitting for sure. Yes, um, ah, that's very exciting, Greg. Congratulations! I'll, I'll look forward to seeing that. Okay, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a it's been a labor of love, and it's definitely taken a village. So yeah, the the twelve contributors are from all over all over the U.S., but one's based in Paris. But and and so their con, you know, their contributions have been all over the place too, in terms of their structure or form or style. And you know, it's it's been a really interesting thing to do. Yeah. Well, again, I I really appreciate the conversation, and it's been fun. Appreciate you both uh, experimenting with this uh, possibility. But I just thought it was interesting to think about the way that, especially the way that you both explore your paintings and abstraction, and how that relates to landscape. And so it's been fun to to talk to you both about that. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this has been a blast. Thanks very much for having us. Thanks once again to Lisa and Greg for joining me. You can check out Lisa's work at lisabergantcoy.com. And just a reminder on those exhibitions, a solo at Harper College in March of 2020 and a group exhibition at James May Gallery in fall of 2020. You can find her on Instagram at lisabergantcoy underscore art. You can find Greg's work at gregedmondson.net. His book, After the Flood, comes out today, May 10th, and will be available and traveling kind of everywhere. And there'll be a book signing at Phil Sline Gallery in St. Louis with some work there as well, so be sure and check it out. And, of course, that book will be traveling all about. But otherwise, you could go to Stubborn Mule Press, which will be linked with these other links in this post, and you can buy a book there. So please check out their websites and enjoy. A quick reminder once again that our Studio Break student competition is coming to a close May 15th. So if you're a student and want to participate or apply, be sure and visit studiobreak.com under the student competition page. Once again, the application is quite simple. You submit a small fee, 10 images and an artist statement, or a website. You email that all to studiobreakmail at gmail. And you are done. Again, you can find more information on studiobreak.com under the student competition page or on our Instagram page at studio underscore break. There's a post, so it's quite easy to find out how to apply. Again, that's open to all currently enrolled and graduating MFA, MA, and BFA, BA candidates. 
Our juror this year is Erica B. Hess from I Like Your Work podcast. She's a great artist, a curator, and we're very excited to have her on board. And she'll be selecting three artists from each of those categories, three undergrad, three grad, to be featured on Studio Break. So if you want to be on Studio Break, apply today. And, of course, if you know some friends or students that should apply, encourage them to do so. Once again, May 15th is our deadline. If you like today's episode, be sure and check out others on studiobreak.com. Again, each of our posts have these interviews as well as images of the artist's work, links to their websites. You can listen right there in the default player or click the iTunes link and subscribe to the podcast. So be sure and do that. You can, of course, follow us in social media, so be sure and like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break and, of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. Be sure to say hello. It's always great hearing from people. Let me take a second to thank Skylar Mail, who provides the music to Studio Break. You can check out his artwork at SkylarMail.net. If you'd like to see some of my paintings, it's DavidLinaway.com. You can certainly feel free to say hello via social media. So you can find me on Facebook. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at David Linaway. I am excited to say that I have a two-person exhibition coming up this summer, July 12th at Heartbreaker in Peoria with Shona McDonald. It's going to be a painting show. We're super excited about that. So if you can make it out for that, that'd be awesome. If you enjoyed today's episode, please let us know. Give us a shout out and say hello. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you real soon.